You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. You're likely listening to this on a Monday in December. In most of this country, it's cold. In all of the country, it's dark. The weekend might have been nice, but it's over. It's back to work. And you may, on days like this, dream of the day that you retire. When you wake up, glance at the clock and the dark and the cold, and roll over and go cozily back to sleep. You may think that it's about this time of year when you retire that you'll be headed to where it's not cold at all, and you'll stay there till April or so. If you've dreamed about all that, that's great. I have too. It's fun to dream. But I would ask you two things. First, considering the cost of living, the unpredictable economy, the world in turmoil, and, if you're younger, the decline in stable employment with retirement programs at the same time as lifespans keep increasing, do you really think you'll actually be able to retire like that? Second, considering everything that we're learning about what actually keeps us healthy and engaged as we age, even if you could, are you sure you want to? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Catherine Bradbury is a Toronto-based journalist, a regular and longtime contributor to major Canadian media. She's the author of The Bright Side, published by Penguin Random House in 2021. She writes a column called The Three-Quarter Life Crisis for the Toronto Star, where I gather she worked until she retired, and then like any great athlete came out of retirement, couldn't leave the game alone. Hello, Catherine. (laughs) I love that description. Hello, how are you? I am doing well. I want to talk to you about why you came out of retirement. Um, I gather it wasn't to chase one last championship ring. So tell me about your retirement and what you thought it would be and what it is. Well, my last job was actually at the CBC, and it was a pretty big job. I've usually been a boss in media, and uh, you know what the news cycle is like. Everybody knows what the news cycle has been like for the last few years. And so just before I retired, it was like Ukraine and nuclear threat and atmospheric rivers and COVID and, and, uh, you know, the storming of the Capitol. It It was the most insane news cycle of my career. So I really wasn't sorry to be leaving all of that. And I guess what I expected was something like my father had before me, you know, that generation who produced my generation, the boomers. I expected the social contract to keep up its end of the bargain. I had paid huge chunks of my salary, my whole 40-year career into my government pension funds and work pension funds. And that's not what happened. What happened? (laughs) I mean, a lot of stuff happened over the past few years, and we'll get to that. But like, what happened to you? Well, I was one of the huge number of Canadians who retired during COVID. And if you cast your mind back, you know, uh, in my bank account, uh, my money was multiplying like guppies, like it was just crazy. The interest rates were so low. Of course, you weren't spending any money because we were all sitting in lockdown. And so I had a kind of false sense of what I was retiring with. If you talk to Canadians now, Canadians believe they need $1.7 million to retire, which is a, a, a lot of money. 
And so um, I retired into a, a scenario where my interest rates doubled almost overnight. I have a big mortgage on my house and everything just costs so much more. And I, I was really um, having trouble making ends meet. And so you're no longer quite fully retired. I'm no longer quite fully retired, yeah. And it turns out what I found in my article was that's a good thing. That's a good thing for my health and my longevity because people who retire into nothing uh, tend to get sicker and live less long. You mentioned a lot of Canadians retired during COVID. Are we in a wave of retirements right now generally? How do today's numbers compare to the past or to the future? Yeah, so about a thousand people are retiring every day in Canada right now. That's a lot. That's a lot of people mm -hmm. moving through the system. We're the largest generation in Canadian history, in world history, to move into retirement. And, you know, you sort of get distracted just by the sheer numbers of us moving through the system. So that's, that's one thing. There's a lot of us. And the other thing is we're going to live a long time. I used to think longevity was a good thing. You know, that's a great. I'm going to live till I'm 94. But it isn't necessarily. I mean, if you want to really think about how long you potentially could live, the oldest lived Canadian was 117 years old. So if you want to plan for how long you could live, that's the outside number, 117. And for somebody retiring at 60, that's like 50 years to yeah. plan for and save for. That's a very long paid vacation at the end of your work career. I'm trying to get a handle on how quickly the situation around retirement has changed. And this might uh, sound weird, but can you maybe just explain the concept of retirement to us? Because this is a relatively uh, recent invention. It is. It is. Yes. So it was Otto von Bismarck in 1881 who decided that uh, Germans, after a life of work, deserved to be supported by the government. And so he set up a retirement age for people's retirement benefits to kick in when they were 70 years old. Well, at the time that he did that, it made him look good, but most Germans died at 40. That was the average life expectancy. So right. it, it was it was a political move, but not a, not a, actually of any use whatsoever. And similarly in Canada, when we created our uh, retirement pension plan, that happened in 1965. It sounded like a great thing, but the, and it and it happened in 1965, and it kicked in when you turned 65. But at that time, the average life expectancy of male Canadians who made up the bulk of the workforce was 68. Mm. So yeah, that's a big difference between that and 50 years or 40 years or even 30 years. Well, how quickly and how radically, I guess, has life expectancy increased? And I mean, COVID aside, because I know it caused a blip, does it show any signs of slowing down? How much more can we realistically expect it to keep going up? I, I, you know, I don't know. There's all these movements now about like living forever. And remember that whole succession? Did you watch Succession, that succession plot? Explain it for us, for people who haven't. Well, well, I, I barely, I can't, I'm not going to explain it well. It seemed like it was a joke. It was, Fair. it was one of their plans to help people live forever. But actually, it's a real movement out there. Like a lot of people are investing millions upon millions of dollars in, in, you know, this belief that we don't have to die or we don't have to die for, you know, 200 years. So, so there's a hope out there in the extreme fringes of things, the very rich extreme fringes that longevity could keep increasing and increasing and increasing. Uh, right now, you know, 
uh, is that such a crazy idea? I mean, life expectancy was 40 in 1881 and then 68 in 1965. And now it's uh, for men, 80 and for women, 84. That's increasing a lot all the time, right? What's it going to be for our kids? I don't know. 100, 110? Assuming we don't burn up the entire world by then. But that's a that's a topic for another podcast. In terms of the funds and retirement plans, as you mentioned, the uh, Canada Pension Plan, that were set up to uh, provide for elderly Canadians in their retirement, how are they holding up to this, both the wave of retirements you mentioned that, that we've been in for a while as the boomers leave the workforce, and also to uh, the fact that somebody who retired, say, at uh, the turn of the millennium is potentially, probably still alive and getting a paycheck. One of the things that I found in the research for this article in Walrus is that Canadians are among the most financially illiterate country in the world. So that's that's kind of surprising. Huh. I'm doing a personal finance podcast right now. And uh, I, as I learn myself, I find that it tracks. <laughs> well, and, it, it, you know, uh, I, I have often thought, why don't we teach financial literacy to kids in school? Mm-hmm. Why don't we have conversations about money? Why don't we why, why don't we do that? It's it's more useful than woodworking. Well, God, that dates me. I'm sure woodworking has been taught for centuries, but uh, people uh, research shows this. People are pretty good at planning for the short term and not so bad at planning for the medium term, but they're very bad at planning for the long term. We just can't do it. We're, we're too optimistic. Uh, you know, you can't picture yourself at 94 frail and, and, and living in a home. It's, it's the mind doesn't go there. So I do think that you've got a financially not terribly literate group of Canadians who are not terribly clear about what they really need, who do some planning, but not enough planning. And it, you know, it means that you end up, uh, you don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know what the interest rates are going to be. You don't know what the stock markets are going to do. You don't know what inflation rates are. So it's just a massive journey of insecurity, as one of the experts I talked to said. As the life expectancy continues to increase and, you know, the economy is as volatile as it is right now, the first one, I guess, is just what's happening to people right now. Um, I mean, you're a prime example of it, uh, but there are people who are probably, I guess, right now back where you were in 2021, where they're like, well, you know what? I've worked a long life. I'm looking forward to getting out of this. And now they're looking around and, and I'm asking, like, you know, what are they doing? What's happening to them? You know, one of the big surprises of this piece when I started out is that I didn't talk to a single person who was actually retired, even though they were all retired. Hmm. People were either working as volunteers or uh, their inner rebel had come out and they were fighting for climate change or indigenous rights, or they had gone back to work and gone back to work in dramatically different fields than they had worked in their whole lives. Um, one guy I talked to was a bank manager at TD for 35 years or 30 years, and he is working in a funeral home now, and he loves it. And so I want to make, I want people to hear that it's not all dark, like people aren't necessarily forced to go back to work, although there are some Canadians who are in that position. But a lot of Canadians choose to go back to work because they want some kind of engagement. They want to have a reason to connect with people. They don't want pressure. They don't want the big job anymore. Another guy was a a union 
organizer at Dow Chemical and he's delivering flowers in his 70s and he loves it. He says, like, there's nothing better than, you know, people opening the door and you've got a bouquet of flowers. They all smile at you, very different from his previous job. So, uh, you know, I think in answer to your question, what people are doing is actually going back to work for all kinds of different reasons. And it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's 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 a way to keep engaged. It's a way to stay healthy. It's actually a way to live longer. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You've touched on this a couple times, so I'll ask you for more detail on that. What do we know? What does science tell us about what what's best to do as we age in order to keep fit, stay healthy, et cetera? And does that involve, does it change, I guess, if it involves, you know, paid work, perhaps stressful work like your previous job or, you know, delivering flowers to people? Yeah, well, there have been a lot of studies done on of what helps people live longer, like a lot. There's a Netflix series on right now about the blue zones. What's it called? The secrets of a long life. And we've known for a long time that the bigger, the biggies for shortening your life are smoking, obesity, and drinking. But what the studies have been finding for the past 10 or 15 years is that there's a fourth factor there, and that's uh, a lack of purpose. And it is as huge an indicator of an earlier death as the other three are. So a lack of purpose is as damaging to your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That's a pretty big finding. So, you know, and I think we all know in all of our fields, people who are just so driven at work, the, the doctors, the media people, probably athletes, and, and then you stop and you don't have anything to do and you hear these stories and then they drop dead a month later. And what the studies are saying is that if you go from that to nothing, you go from that to, I guess I'll shovel the snow or maybe I won't, maybe I'll just sit here, that's going to shorten your life. So what we know is that whatever that looks like, having some kind of engagement that keeps you occupied and interested in the people in the world around you, that, that's a very important thing thing to have in your life when you retire or stop working in the place that you have used to work. And if more and more people are either A, realizing that and choosing to remain in the workforce or B, you know, simply can't afford uh, to retire in the current economy, how is the workforce adapting to that, to as life expectancy grows uh, older and older folks sticking around in those positions. Um, you borrow, again, from uh, succession, and you call them grays in your piece. How's the workforce treating them? Well, you know, first of all, the, a lot of Canadians fought against mandatory retirement and won. So you cannot be forced to retire by Canadian law. It's against the law. So if if you wanted to work, keep working in your job till you're 90 years old or keep, you know, working, 
Nobody can say you can't do that. But ageism at work is much more subtle than saying, get out. There, there's a kind of, I know as a boss, there's a kind of red circling that goes on. You, you, you start to look at the people who are over 55, wondering, you know, oh, their pensions topped up. So well, maybe let's have a sort of nudging conversation with them. Or you stop to send people on training programs or uh, one guy in the finance business, a really intense, he had a really intense job in New York. And uh, he said when he turned 55, they hired another guy in his 20s or early 30s to do exactly the job he was doing. And they sat him right beside him. And he said, when I, when I was 55, my desk was 36 inches wide. And by the time I was 60, it was 24 inches wide. He said, <laughs> and I looked around me and I thought, okay, it's time to move on. Like this is as clear a signal as it gets that my, I'm, my value is shrinking for this company. But the problem with that is that he went on and he started a real estate career, which he's been doing for seven years, incredibly successful. So he took all that energy and drive and work ethic and he took it to something else instead of finding a way to feed it back into the business he was in. And I don't think, that isn't to say that the people who stay on and work should stay in the big jobs and the top jobs and stop mm. the next generation from coming up. I personally don't believe that's what should happen. But we have this very stark idea. You're either in or you're out. You know, Catherine's a VP. And so she, she's got a, we can't possibly talk to her about doing something other or lesser. So she's either in this job or she has to get out of the company. And a, a lot of the people I talked to said, we should really be thinking about changing that up. If it's going to go on for another 30 years instead of 10 or 15, how could that look? What other types of rules would you like to have within the company? A lot of countries are doing this. Scotland's way ahead of the curve on it. Um, these legacy, sort of 60-year legacy career path. They start to talk to people in their 20s about where they envision they want to be in their career when they're 70. And I think we have to have the, start to really try and have those conversations with ourselves and with the places we work. So far, we've discussed this from a very white-collar perspective. I want to talk now about uh, people who, A, are in the position that they can't afford to retire, but B, also may have spent decades working a job that is physically really rough and, and is going to only get tougher as they get older. What solutions are there, uh, given the current economic climate and how well-equipped pension plans and, and so on are, for them, uh, other than just simply telling them to raise the retirement age and you got to keep working? You've got to keep working, Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say right here that I didn't talk to uh, Canadians for this article who simply had to keep working. I didn't. That was kind of outside the purview of this piece. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's a really important story and I think it's another story, but um, it, it is a problem. People being be having to work. One of the places that has the, the huge problem is Japan and Korea. So they, they have the oldest populations in the world. And uh, people are working into their 60s, 70s, and 80s because their pension programs are so terrible, much worse than ours, like just terrible poverty pension programs that they, they have to work. Now, the benefit for society is that in Japan and also in Canada, we have a million job vacancies right now. There are a lot of jobs that 
people on the up don't want to do. And so in Japan, people in their 70s and 80s are doing things like, you know, grocery delivery and greeters at stores and, and that kind of thing. Yes, they are continuing to work because they have to, but they're also filling a need, a vacancy, where the country desperately needs workers. What kind of solutions could we find in Canada to making sure that people, assuming that they're retiring when they want to and that they're lucky enough to do that, that, that they can feel confident retiring and don't have the sort of same feeling that you just did, which is like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to relax. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, I don't know if I have enough money. Do we, do we have the ability to do that? I ended up after this, writing this piece or at the end of writing the piece, I came up with what I called my, my personal retirement manifesto. And I, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of experts in Canada, and a lot of um, retirees. And, and it was three things. One is this idea of a legacy career path and what that looks like and really starting to have this conversation as a country. So what does it look like if people are moving from a 40-year career to a 60-year career? And uh, how do we make that work for the people coming up behind them? How do we make that work for the people who are going to work longer? There aren't answers to that question. But when we put in place the, you know, we, we made it illegal to say people had to retire, the conversation sort of stopped there. Nobody said, well, what's that going to look like? How's that going to work? How's that actually going to work in the workplace? So that's one, is to really think about what a legacy career path looks like and to start to have those conversations. And the second one is this idea of staged retirement or phased retirement. So I think we want to move from something that is people working mostly full-time to mostly not full-time. And that could take place over a year, over two years, over four years maybe. So you gradually phase people out of work. Now that's difficult as hell to manage. Like, you know, I know as a manager, so what, I got to manage like, like all these part-time schedules and people are shifting jobs is a minefield. But, um, but I think that it's something that is worth talking about. So uh, this idea of phased retirement. So you've got the, the legacy retirement, you've got the phased retirement. And then the third thing I think is that Retirement is just a bad word because it doesn't actually define what's happening anymore. It's, it's an outmoded word. We should retire retirement. I originally talked about the unretired, like the undead, but I think it's more like we should just call people workers as long as they're working. What would you say now, not only from your own point of view and your own experience, but incorporating everything you've learned in the course of researching this article, to people who are listening right now who are professionals in their 30s and 40s, and, you know, they've been presumably paying into CPP and buying into work pension plans, but as you pointed out earlier, may have not thought much beyond that. What would you tell them? Gee, that's a good question. I mean, my my son is 32 and my daughter is 30, and they get uh, irritated with me when I talk about <laughs> Being disappointed in my retirement pension, I mean, my son just says, well, I don't have that. I won't have that. Like, it doesn't exist for me. And it, I think that's the reality for a lot of people in their 30s in the workforce. There are, there, you know, they're not paying into company retirement plans often. 
a lot of people are are doing the kind of work where there just isn't any kind of pension set up. So uh, I think let's go back to that financial literacy conversation. And to, I, I'd encourage people to really look at their financial situation, try and do the long-term planning, not the short-term and the medium, but the long-term. What, what does it look like? What are they going to need? Again, my son would say, well, I'm going to need to work in forever. And I'm not sure if that's the case or not. But I think that, that kind of financial literacy and looking way out as far as you can into the future and trying to see what your life looks like and what you could start to do now. Catherine, thank you so much for this. It's been a fascinating conversation and uh, I wish you all the best in your quasi-retirement. <laughs> thank you so much. That was a good conversation. Catherine Bradbury, former journalist, then retired journalist, now sort of journalist again. And that's the way we're all going to do it one day. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. If you'd like to suggest a topic for this podcast or even a financial topic for our sister spinoff podcast in this economy, you can do so by emailing us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or by calling us and sending a voicemail, 416-935-5935. The Big Story is available in absolutely every podcast player. And if it's in yours and you haven't clicked subscribe or follow or whatever it is it wants you to do yet, please do and consider also rating this show or leaving us a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow and every day because I'll never retire.